재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 It is time for Must Read Korean Book. Joining us today is Sarah Kwan. Sarah is a freelance interpreter based in Seoul. Hi, Sarah. Good morning, everyone. How are you today? I'm very chirpy. (laughs) (laughs) So you've brought in a book today that you would have liked to have read a long time ago. Yeah, I wish I had read this book maybe when I was 10, 12, when I just started. 10, 12, okay. Is 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 it a children's book? No, no, but it's an, a great book that mm-hmm. has the overall knowledge about all subjects. And so the title is Wide and Superficial Knowledge for Intellectual Conversations uh-huh. by Che Sajang. So in Korean, it's 지적 대화를 위한 넓고 얕은 지식. Well, I don't know, but I, I think you, I can see you as a 10 or 12 year old, like, already perfectly capable of having intellectual conversations like this very precocious very sort of fluent outspoken person well yeah thank you very much for <laughs> considering such highly of me but um at the age of 10 if uh-huh. i had read this book i think all those boring history ethics social studies econ classes would have made much more sense mm-hmm. no, so so you mean that you you wish that you had read this book so it would have given you more of a context yeah absolutely. for for learning all these different things that you were basically forced to learn yeah. As a 10, 12 year old. Okay. Yeah, let's okay. take like history, for example. Uh-huh. Like, what I, as a student, really focused on was getting good grades. And you have so little time and you have to memorize and cram mm. all these dates in. Right, and right. They're just isolated incidents. And uh-huh. even if it's about a foreign country, they're like thousands of miles away. I've never even like seen them or visited mm-hmm. them. Right, right. Or even if it's about Korea, it's like about people that are dead for 500 years. Uh-huh. And so I really didn't. Like relate to it, it didn't uh-huh. really matter to me. Uh-huh. So um, I'll grill you about a couple of dates. Let's see if you remember anything that you <laughs> that you retained and yes, memorized. Yes, from when I was days. in mid- middle school. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So follow the Berlin Wall. Nineteen eighty nine. Uh huh. Uh-huh. What's the date? November 9th. Okay. Oh, that is that is good. What about the uh, the French Revolution? 1789 I think it went on uh-huh. for about 10 years uh-huh. oh that's pretty good so you do remember yeah so they grilled me like cons- uh-huh. like constant like you know exams and uh-huh. you, you can see how I have been it's been hammered into me mm-hmm. I have these uh, very very strange um, memories of, of things that I learned when I was in middle school that I retained for no reason that are of absolutely no practical use to me like um, how far apart to plant tomatoes about uh, 12 centimeters. Okay, so if mm-hmm. you wanted to be a farmer. Yes, if I wanted to be a tomato farmer, it would be very useful. But, you know, it's it's still in my brain, but there's no use for it. But but there you have it. Yeah, so if I had read this book, it's so simplified and conceptualized. I would have this kind of understanding about the mm-hmm. cause and effect mm-hmm. or the dynamic about international politics and would have, you know, concentrated much more and enjoyed those history lessons. Mm, definitely. By, by the way, what's your what was your sub, like favorite subject? In well, my favorite subject speaking of tomatoes was uh, actually biology because mm. I was fascinated with the with the way that cells work you know lipid bilayers and how like things go in and out of cells and it's it's more like a it's more like um, 
learning how factories work, how conveyor belts work, and and so on. Ah, so that's that's how I saw it. The human body is like factories. Yes, 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 yes. Interesting, yes, interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's return to the book. Can you tell us about the author, Che Sa-jung? Mm-hmm. So Che Sa-jung is a 33-year-old writer that has double majored in Korean literature and philosophy. Mm-hmm. He was also a ROTC stock investor, private tutor, realtor, business owner, and is currently a grad student in philosophy. So he's a jack of various traits. Mm-hmm. So uh, he sounds like a pretty voracious reader. He apparently um, read one book a day to to gain expertise in all these different fields. Absolutely. So he started reading voraciously. So he Mm -hmm. pretty much um, started living in the library, he says, uh, after he had an accident Mm -hmm. uh, with his friends in Mm -hmm. Jeju Island. And so it was a huge accident. So two people actually died. Oh, okay. So I brought actually an excerpt from an interview that he had. Mm Mm-hmm. So, after the accident, I suffered from insomnia and anxiety, and the world that I knew of was crumbling under my feet. Nothing was solid, stable. Everything was risky. I, the materialist, became the idealist. Substance began to matter more. Mm. So, it sounds like he was able to find solace in in reading Mm -hmm. after the accident. Yeah, so that's the intention of the book. He started a podcast. Mm-hmm. So all these like, you know, thousands and thousands of books that he would read like one like one book a day, that became a podcast with three of his other friends mm-hmm. and that became a book. Okay. And were were these three friends the ones who were in the accident with him? No, no. So Okay, so different friends. Different friends. Yes. Okay, so the podcast became the basis for the book. Yes. yes. Okay, okay, great, great. Um, well, let's look at some of the excerpts from this book. What do you have for us? Mm-hmm. So let's start from prehistorical times. Prehistoric cavemen A and B live together in the same village. They hunt and farm, cooperate when they need to. It's a common production society. They sow, reap, and divide the harvest equally. Property is owned and managed together. They will feast together or starve together. But one day, A finds a sharp stone shard and uses it to turn over the soil and cut the grown wheat. He doesn't share this with B. What is important here is when production, the production tool, the knife, in this analogy, it's a stone knife, the production of the crop will start to differ. And so will their social dynamic of the relationship. B runs out of food by springtime and visits A to ask him whether they should go berry hunting or find something edible. But surprisingly, A's stock is still plentiful. Can you share some of your abundant food for old time's sake? Okay, but you can clean my hut instead. A suddenly has command. Now A is in the position to command B to do something in return. It's because of this leftover crop. Where did this leftover product come from? From the more efficient competitive production tool. This led to more production and hence power. It's interesting how these material, tangible products and tools can create a change in intangible power dynamics between the two cavemen. 
So that's a very nice, simple way of explaining how um, prehistoric societies went from sharing everything and doing everything communally to having competition as a result of having leftover crop. Yes, yes. So mm-hmm. it's much about like production and the production tool. So mm-hmm. that's like the basic, you know, s- foundations you can work with in uh-huh. understanding societies. Right. Um, the other thing I noticed about the excerpt that you just read was um, so the production tool, a stone knife, appears and then it changes everything, and it's so dramatic. And mm. that you know they used to coexist kind of peacefully; they were friends, and then and then all of a sudden A decides not to tell B about the stone knife. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, I have more power now so it is a competitive society mm-hmm. and that changes the power dynamic right right so the next excerpt you brought in is about capitalism mm-hmm. the most prominent trait of capitalism is that the supply exceeds the demand if this is hard to grasp picture a supermarket or a department store there are endless piles and files of items waiting to be bought just endless lines Very rare is the case where the consumer is frantically running around because he can't find a product. It's the opposite. The producers are constantly persuading, enticing, and even begging consumers to buy their products with advertisements. This excess of supply is not an abnormality, but a common and most fundamental state of capitalism. Mm, I didn't know that the access was very important. I already, um, I always thought that when when it comes to capitalism, the balance between supply and demand is important. But um, I think just from this excerpt, it doesn't quite like make sense to me why access is so important. Like, isn't it bad for business if the supermarket has a lot of food left over or stock left over? Oh, so uh, because there was an excerpt before this that mm-hmm. explained it. So. Like before we in, we went into factories or mass production, we order we always manufactured by order, right? Mm. But now we always manufacture pre ordering, right? And so there's always some excess stock, like um, in manufacturers or like in department stores, mm-hmm. and so that's why there's always more products than we actually need mm. that is waiting for us. Mm-hmm. The next excerpt you have brought in today is about imperialism. Capitalist states that have become so through industrialization can't but experience this excess supply block. And then they have no choice but to find new markets to create more demand. During the 17th and 18th century, the most popular method was to expand colonies. Colonies were the easiest answer to get cheap raw materials and sell manufactured products. England colonized India, Spain, South America, France, Africa. They established colonized nations and forced them to buy their excess products. India is a prime example. The British Empire sold their textiles to India and received opium in return. India was forced to support the UK textile industry and lost a lot of resources and capital. Textile was strangling India. So Gandhi started the movement of spinning his own clothes to block the imports of British textiles. This is why when we think of Gandhi, we think of him spinning a wheel. 
that was an act of defiance against the British textile imports and British imperialism. Mm. So, just by looking at that excerpt, I think it makes a uh, clearer sense why imperialism was such a a horrible deal for the colonies. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. The um, in order to support the UK textile industry, India had to be drained of its resources, both human resources and natural resources. And they have to buy all these textiles that are kind of subpar mm. um, quality, right, right? And then it's just dumped onto them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Our last excerpt is about asking hypothetical questions and why the um, author thinks that when it comes to history, it's kind of um, pointless to ask hypothetical questions. Yeah, I really enjoyed these parts because, you know, you when you learn history or you see some historical movie or read a novel, mm-hmm. you always think, what if? Yes. What if um, something didn't happen? Yeah, what if Hitler died? Yeah, uh-huh. like, would um, after post-World War um, to have been a different, you know, um, world or would U.S. still be a superpower? So mm-hmm. all these hypotheticals are really interesting. What if Franz Ferdinand, the Archduke of Austria, was not assassinated? Would there have been no World War I? In history, these kinds of what-if hypotheses are moot points because there are too many variables. But even if the shooter was arrested before pulling the trigger, even if we had invented a time machine to stop the event... World War I would still have happened one way or another. Because the assassination of the Austrian Archduke was not the main reason, but just a justification that Germany urgently was looking for to start a war. As stated before, most European powerhouses were maximizing their colonial territories and Germany was industrialized later and jumped into the race too late. There were no colonies left to conquer. So, what could Germany do? Take them by force, by war. Germany would have said yes to any not-so-lame excuse to jump in the colonial race to make up for their late entry. It is not because the German nation is more malicious or more bloodthirsty, but because of what capitalism fundamentally is, the supply exceeding the demand. This innate hubris of capitalism is what led Germany to choose war, the only solution she could choose to maintain the current level of industrial development and capitalism. So there it is again, the the idea of supply exceeding demand and how important it is for capitalism and how it created war and so forth. And so um, according to the the writer, supply exceeding demand is also connected to two things that um, the writer mentions as pillars of capitalism even today. Can you tell us what these two things are? Mm-hmm. So this was an excerpt that I prepared because I thought that it was a very interesting thing that we sometimes don't feel when we are living in this, immersed in this capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. The two pillars that sustain capitalism is war and fashion slash trend. They are like twins from the same womb. 
War can solve the excess supply problem of capitalism in a flash, while trends can create huge demand that surpasses necessity, also solving the problem. That is why thousands and millions of perfectly usable clothes and purses are filling landfills today. Without war and trends, capitalism couldn't last. So that's why we spend so much. So it's either war, war, or trends. Like, can you give us an example of a time when you bought something that you didn't need? Absolutely. So, uh, as a child, mm-hmm. I always thought like, you know, there's like, Korean is very fashion conscious, mm-hmm, right? Right. And so, if someone buys like a coat, everyone buys the same coat, mm-hmm. or like a certain bags in fashion, or like high rise jeans. Right. Everyone is wearing it. Mm-hmm. And as a child, I was like, I have perfectly fine jeans, but why do they call my jeans mom jeans or out of fashion? <laughs> <laughs> and you keep on throwing away stuff that uh-huh. are perfectly fine, and right. then it kind of the trend comes into a full circle again. Right, mm-hmm. so like what was like fashionable in the seventies just kind of come back. Right, this is why you should never throw away your mom jeans because you don't know like <laughs> you don't know if like forty years down the road it's going to be retro. I know, so uh-huh. skinny jeans are kind of out now. Right, and so right. Um, whenever we would consciously, I thought when we consume, we should be more conscious about it. why do these fashion companies, these fashion magazines, keep on telling us that mm-hmm. this is out of trend? Right, you are right. kind of lagging behind. You mm-hmm. should, you know. Get to the trend, right? And I also feel like uh, celebrity endorsement also plays a very big role mm-hmm. in in the things that we buy. Yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. them, like you know, having a certain bag or you know, getting a shot at the airport, that really leads to consumerism. Right, demand. right, right. So without war and without trends, we would not consume so much. I feel like we will still find ways to consume or reasons to consume. Yeah, but I think it was a really good explanation to mm-hmm. me, like mm-hmm. the excess demand, right, I mean, right. excess supply, and that being solved through consumerism mm-hmm. or like, you know, advertisements or war. So the Iraq war and, you know, what I see on fashion magaza- magazines. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to end it with that note. Maybe let's be a more conscious consumer and see the role and responsibility that we have in a massive capitalistic system that was that is around two centuries old mm-hmm. well i actually saw this uh, advertisement that said uh, don't buy this jacket it was um this the certain outdoor brand that was very very um environmentally friendly and they wanted to reduce waste as much as possible. Oh, so and they're actually saying, like, don't buy our products. It's a huge products. advertisement that says, the, so there's an image of a jacket, and it says, don't buy this jacket. And then in very small print, it says, unless you really, really need it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming in today, and I will see you again soon. Bye, guys. Coming up next is David's bookmark, but first, here's Orient Tango, Libertango. Tango.